Welcome to Conversations with Big Rich. This is an interview-style podcast. These interviewed are all involved in the off-road industry. Being involved, like all of my guests are, is a lifestyle, not just a job. I talk to past, present, and future legends, as well as business owners, employees, media, and land-use warriors, men and women who have found their way into this exciting and addictive lifestyle we call off-road. We discuss their personal history, struggles, successes, and reboots. We dive into what drives them to stay active in off-road. We all hope to shed some light on how to find a path into this world that we live and love and call off-road. On today's episode of Conversations with Big Rich, we have the infamous Jeff Cummings. This is uh, Jeff from BFG Michelin in the tire industry that I know of over 40 years. And uh, I can't wait to hear all of his stories and who he's worked with and and what life has been like on the asphalt and in the dirt. Jeff, thank you so much for coming on board and being part of Conversations with Big Rich. Well, I guess it's about time. You've bugged me long enough and finally sitting still, so uh, you got me. Perfect. Perfect. Everybody kept asking me, so when are you getting Jeff on? When are you getting Jeff on? And uh, it's uh, when you when we saw each other um, at the Ormhoff inductee dinner, and you said, yeah, I guess it's about time, and then uh, gave you a call, and you, you had time, so it was really good. Thank you. Well, persistence pays off, I guess. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hopefully, it pays off with some others, too. I got to bug the hell out of people, but... Hey, it's fun. So let's uh, let's get started, and let's find out where you were born and raised. Well, I was uh, born and raised in uh, central Wisconsin. Uh, grew up outside of a sprawling metropolis called Endeavor, Wisconsin, but we didn't live in town because we couldn't deal with the uh, congestion. That was about 300 people. <laughs> and uh, pretty early on, I discovered that I really like living on a farm, but I don't like working on a farm. <laughs> right. There's a, there's, there's a real big difference there. So, uh, what, what were you guys, what, as a kid, what were your parents farming? Well, my, uh, my grandfather at one point in time had the uh, second largest poultry operation in the country. Wow. Um, I, I remember as a kid on vacation one year going to the LA farmer's market and uh, seeing poultry that had come out of my grandfather's operation. So we uh, we had a little bit of everything. My other grandfather would have probably qualified as farmer in the Dell because there was everything from sheep to pigs to goats to cows to it, you name it. He had it and raised it. So, uh, but man, what an awful lot of work. And uh <laughs> When did what age did you start helping or having chores at the farm? Oh man, probably about as early as I can remember. My father kind of had this "you're eating, you're working" uh, sort of approach to things. So, well, that's that's good. You know, I mean, that we could probably use more of that nowadays. I, uh, that, as much as I hated it then, it was uh, it was absolutely invaluable because. Um, you're right. If if the world operated on the, uh, you want to eat, you ought to be doing some work. And uh, there's there's a lot of different scales of work, but doing doing something productive with your time is uh, 
that was a pretty important lesson and and from the entire family and uh my mother likes to uh, joke about the fact that my father uh built a gas station due to the fact that it was uh pretty apparent that farming wasn't going to be my calling but decided okay well i'm going to build this gas station and that'll keep him busy about 18 hours a day working there so uh and you know from that point on i was uh the, the beauty of growing up living on a farm is you got to drive stuff at a really early age. You know, right. I, uh, with the programs that I've been doing for quite a number of years, uh, at work, I'm dumbfounded by the, uh, by the folks that have no idea why there's three pedals in a vehicle. And I'm not exactly certain, but I believe between me and my next youngest brother, we learned how to drive a, uh, manual transmission at uh ages uh, seven and eight although it was a pretty easy deal because it was a, a 49 f100 uh with a granny gear so you know, it was pretty pretty easy to learn that clutch operation at a pretty early age and living on a farm as long as you could uh drive something from point a to point b and get it hooked up to a trailer properly you got to drive stuff so that was uh that was pretty cool um did got, you got, got me started dealing with that sort of stuff? Yeah. So I, I know some people that had grown up on farms and like one, she had a chicken as a pet when she was younger. And even though they raised chickens, I think they were, I don't think it was a big operation, but she won't eat chicken. Is there anything off the farm you won't eat? Absolutely not. Perfect. You didn't name any of them, right? You know, we had, uh, I, I wasn't big into the cattle end of things. Um, as my, uh, younger siblings were, and I, I recall getting this lecture, me and my, uh, two younger brothers, as we were, uh, about to have our first meal from my, uh, little sister's prize heifer <laughs> and uh around the dinner table it was you clowns don't say anything about what we're about to eat and i don't know about halfway through uh, dinner that night my little sister says wow clementine is really good and my my mother was like oh my god my 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 baby is uh, <laughs> is like the rest of uh, this brood that I've got here. So uh, a lot of things got named. There was a reason they were being raised. Um, you know, a lot of people don't understand that. Right. And it was just the environment that uh, I, I grew up in. And, you know, it's, it, it, it doesn't it doesn't mean that you're going to have any less respect for that animal or treat that animal any, any more poorly. I mean, I watched my little sister feed that animal out of her hand for, a, for a while, but you know, time was come. Yep. We raised you to eat you. Yep. There you go. That's a, that's another good life lesson. You know, if you're uh, if you're not on the wrong, on the right side of the food chain, um, you get eaten. Yeah, the people that uh, oh, it's 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 cruel to those animals. I I think most of the people that are much closer to it 
take great care of those uh, of those animals, whether they're hooved or or not, to uh, make certain that they get the outcome they want. You know, the, it's it's one of those things that boggles my tiny little brain, but. Nevertheless, that's that's kind of the, the background that I had. And the cool thing about growing up on the farm, like I say, is there was stuff to drive and in places to drive. And uh, my, my mother was reminding people the other night when she was uh, out here of when I came home with my first uh, first car. She was trying to decide whether I was uh, 11 or 12, but I had uh, bought this car from a older brother of a kid I was going to school with with for $50 and they were quite horrified when I came wheeling down the road in it, but <laughs> living out, living out where we did, it wasn't like there was a big time traffic and it was a $50 car, which I proceeded to take apart and go racing around the fields and doing, <laughs> getting my butt chewed for running over alfalfa or any variety of other things that were attempting to grow out there. So, <laughs> so what was the, the thing you hated to do most on the farm? Oh, One particular chore. <sighs> Putting up hay. Yeah. Putting up hay. And my grandfather wasn't a big guy. You know, he wasn't a tiny guy either. But he would, you know, whip those bales around like it was nothing. And, you know, I was in reasonably good shape as a kid was on the wrestling team, stuff like that. It'd kick my ass just he'd be out there all day and you know 90 percent humidity 90 degree heat he'd go at it all day long and after about an hour i was <laughs> <laughs> had that old man strength oh buddy well he also knew what he was doing i i managed to get out of that by the time i finally realized you know there's a little there's 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 different ways of tossing that stuff around and I wasn't the sharpest pencil in the box when it came to uh, apply applying any amount of, geez, I want to learn to do that better because I really hated to do it. And I kind of figured out that you didn't want to be real good at something you didn't want to do again. You know, Shelly has, <laughs> Shelly has that <laughs> philosophy. She'll do something and, and I'm like, all right, just stop. I'll, I'll take over. And she smiles and walks off. And one day, you know, she told me, she goes, you know, I always realize that if there's something I really don't want to do, if you're not very good at it, people won't ask you to do it. And I'm like, oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. I definitely learned that working on the farm. And I also learned that responding with, I don't want to do that was the wrong answer. Generally, it was like, okay, yeah, I'll jump right on that. And shortly thereafter, as people were going, oh, my God, that kid's too stupid to do that. I would be relieved of that uh, duty and moved on to something else. So, <laughs> did you uh, did you do any FFA or um, 4-H or anything like that? I did 4-H. Um, that was pretty much a. I can't say that I know anybody that didn't do it, and I don't think it was necessarily mandatory. But that's what you did. You know, right. that was. So, but I wasn't, I wasn't in it all that long, but yeah, the rest of the rest of the, uh, family got deeper into it, uh, than I did. I was, I was working my way towards 
something that was uh, going to have an internal combustion engine in it just as rapidly as I could, and the rest of it I was happy to leave behind. So that meant being at that gas station for 18 hours. That was way better than spending a two-hour day doing a chore on the, on the farm from my standpoint. So how old were you when, when Dad bought the uh, the, the, the gas station? Uh, he actually built it from scratch. I, oh, I helped okay. lay out the concrete forms. Nice. <laughs> uh, I think that started when I was uh, maybe 12 and uh, up and running by the time, uh, I think before I turned 13. Little gas station and restaurant that uh, paid a lot of bills for the family and uh, made made certain that there was no shortage of things for us kids to uh, to do, even if there wasn't farming to do. Right. <laughs> so was it it back in those days? We're talking full service, washing the windshield, checking the oils. They as people came in and filters and that kind of stuff. Oh yeah, my. Uh, I like to taunt people. I, I've pumped gas for 19 cents a gallon. And if you got more than eight gallons, you got a free glass with it. Nice. Yeah. So you, uh, you definitely washed the windows and checked the oil and on occasion, uh, would, uh, check the air in the tires and the, the whole smear. Yeah. That was self-service gas station. That, that that hadn't been invented yet. <laughs> Laziness in America hadn't hit. Yeah. So then with uh, your first experiences with tires probably came from that gas station. Did you guys have a tire machine to mount with? No. No. Okay. No, we didn't. My first uh my first playing with tires. You know, it wasn't like we had our uh a real racetrack around, but, uh, there was what we called the river road was where, uh, where you would go out to, uh, demonstrate however much horsepower you had. And, uh, we like to keep track of that sort of thing. So the, uh, and it wasn't really like it was scripted out, but you'd go out and do burnouts and then you would, uh, put down a paint stripe where the, where the rubber started <laughs> and where it ended and then initial it so that you know you could get credit for it after you know the uh, the rubber would uh, wear off the road so i would go down to the implement dealer in town and would change tires down there to get scrap tires because there was really no good reason to uh, to be putting tires on with a lot of rubber because the bald ones were the ones that made the best black marks right and uh and the things that made the best black marks which i started learning a little bit more about tires is there were big sod farms in the area and they ran on these sod farms with basically slicks so that they weren't tearing up the turf but they were all recaps and oh, buddy, did those make nice black marks? But the problem is, you're doing burnouts with those. You would get them a little too warm, and they would come apart. So um, I started I, I started realizing that there were some differences in tires from that standpoint, pretty uh, pretty early on. Uh, but that was kind of my my initial. Uh, there was a couple things. Which tires made the best black marks? 
And which tires did I have the toughest time getting myself stuck out running around in the fields? Because uh, the whole array of first vehicles that I had, uh, I fell into Volkswagen um, bugs because they they were easy to work on. They were pretty lightweight, and um, you could rip the fenders off of them and put just about however big a snow tires you could find. So uh, there were tires that it were harder to get stuck with, and there were tires that made better black marks on the asphalt. So those those were the two real differentiating things from my standpoint early on. Right. The uh, bugs, it's amazing. Um, I was just talking to Marty Fioka, and he uh, his start was in Volkswagen bugs, as was mine. You know, there was there was really no plan there. My the uh, kids at the next farm over, um, where I was the uh, the oldest. Uh, the guys that were my age were the were the youngest and had four older brothers. So those guys were all car guys, and they had a very dim view of Volkswagens. <laughs> um, but but to uh, help out their. <laughs> to help out their brothers. They were constantly trying to build things that would compete <laughs> with the Volkswagens that we would run around. Oh my Lord. They, they built some, some Mr. Toad's wild rides. They, they, at one point in time, they had, uh, it's a small block Chevy with a, uh, two speed power glide, uh, automatic transmission, and a drive shaft that was probably six inches long <laughs> with a bench seat right over the rear axle. And uh, it, it's it's amazing that nobody lost a leg riding in that thing because it would, uh, you know, doing things like balance, balancing. The, this this was all welded up in the, uh, in the repair shop on the farm. It wasn't like it was sent out and put on a lathe. So uh, we managed, we managed not to kill one another, but, even when they did finally get it dialed in, it the radiator would load up with uh, the grass and stuff and overheat. And then they decided to build them a couple of uh, Corvair contraptions, which um, also couldn't quite hang with the uh, with the Beatles that, uh, or what was left of the Beatles. Mostly, uh, mostly I'd stripped the bodies off of them and uh, you know got a big lesson. I was maybe. 14 by that point in time i started to build roll cages decided you know i'm really going to haul ass with these things so starting to build roll cages and the uh, first time that i rolled one and I got myself pinned into the uh what was left of the erector set and my dad who was always good about teaching me things <laughs> mostly after the fact uh pointed if you're out gonna that be stupid let's be stupid <laughs> yeah that was that was kind of it, it would save him a lot of explanation time up front of just making a point. And, uh, <laughs> that was, that was when I learned that you're an idiot. You can't weld galvanized pipe. <laughs> oh, well, I kind of did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You made, you made sparks and there's a difference between making sparks and welding. So that was a, that was kind of one of those life lessons. I hadn't, I hadn't progressed to where I even knew there was something like chrome molly out there, but, and, and it kind of, kind of made me think, you know, welding is one of those things left to people that are a little brighter than me because I'm pretty fearless when it comes to jumping into things like that. But I've also learned a few lessons as 
one of my coworkers many, many years ago while we were laying out in the desert and I was uh, attempting to get us moving again, reminded me of the fact of just because you have tools doesn't mean you're a mechanic. (laughs) (laughs) For real. (laughs) And I let him know at that point in time that, well, I'll either turn into a mechanic or you're going to turn into a marathon hiker. So (laughs) hand me this. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So then when you were, in school, um, and did you did you drive to school? Was school close by? Did you have to bus or? Oh uh, well, you know, grade school was what four miles away. So uh, yeah, we were we were bussing, and then uh, we went junior high and uh, junior high and high school. We went a long ways away. That was like nine miles away. We went to the big city then. That was Portage, Wisconsin, which was I don't know at the time seven eight thousand people. And, you know, by the time I got my driver's license, which was, I don't know, probably 18 hours after I turned 16, um, <laughs> I would uh, I would drive to school because we weren't required to stay at school the entire day at that point in time. They had they had this experimental. We were young adults and we could be responsible for managing our own time. So you only had to be in school when you had class. And um, not wanting to uh, dedicate my life to any more academic time than necessary, I would go to uh, class and then I would, uh, one of two things, go out to uh, get involved in some sort of mischief, but more times than not, uh, jump in and come home and go to work at the gas station because you could either be working and making money or you could be screwing off and wasting money so you kind of had to keep those things in balance and by the time i got to be that age my uh my parents had already ruined me and uh instilled a little work ethic in me so <laughs> and then so the gas station high school yeah i got out of high school by being great in auto shop nice you know it was i First off, none of the teachers wanted me back for any more semesters than necessary. <laughs> and uh, and it was amazing by doing a tune-up or a brake job or any variety of things on uh, on teachers' vehicles to uh, make certain make certain that you got a passing grade and moved on <laughs> so- <laughs> rather, rather than hanging around. Nice. Nice. And did Frustrated you... my mother something fierce. It's like, if you're smart enough to figure that out, you could just go to class and get good grades. And I was like, Mom, <laughs> really? So uh, my uh, my grandfather, um, he he had some words of wisdom to me one time, and he said, you know, if, uh, if you can't dazzle them with brilliance, baffle them with bullshit. And that stuck through with me through – my high school and college years. Cause every time I had to write some kind of an essay or something like that, you know, I, I didn't spend a lot of time studying, but I knew enough to just, you know, word vomit. I'd make a great politician nowadays with that word vomit, but never really had anything precise or concise to say. And uh, it got me through. That and being the photographer on your book. Yeah, I would uh, I would be a no-show anytime that I was uh, supposed to be up in front of class uh, talking to anybody. I, 
I hated that. That was not that was not one of those things that was ever going to happen. But I'd figured I had figured out the system and made my mother so mad. She's like, you know, wouldn't hurt you to actually get your grades up every once in a while. And I actually got on honor roll for one semester just to uh, sort of make her happy and went right back to my uh, old ways. I said, you know, you get the same credit for a D as you get for an A. So if you got like four credits for an A, that would make sense. But right. you don't. And all I need is X number of credits <laughs> to get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's the mission that I am on. So uh, it, there, was, there was probably, as I look back, there was a, one or two things that I probably uh, should have spent a little time trying to uh, get a little better grasp of. But... I, I pretty much had math, math nailed and um, spent as much time in auto shop. And, you know, back then auto shop was like real auto shop. We got to, we got to take things apart and we were expected to put them back together and um, working wise. Yeah. 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 What there was, uh, I, I, I could go off for days on my uh, view of the uh, educational system and, what they try and teach people that may or may not um, allow them to efficiently feed themselves. But, you know, it wasn't like I was going to a high school that was a trade school, but we had a, uh, you know, industrial drafting and, and woodworking to where the guys, by the time their senior year, they were out framing up houses in, in, for high school stuff. So, you know, it's certainly different, different times. And, and as I look back, very fortunate, um, to have those kind of opportunities to, uh, to really learn. And, you know, when I, when I uh, got out of high school, which I was so happy to do that was suggested that I should maybe go into some kind of advanced level of education. I thought people got to be kidding me, <laughs> but I went to school, got it. Got an associate degree in uh, automotive technology. Perfect. But, but basically, going to have a piece of paper that said you are a mechanic, um, and had a great time doing that. Here again, got to got to learn a lot of stuff. And as I I look back, well, I haven't uh, haven't been trying to feed myself twisting wrenches and good Lord getting close to 50 years at this point in time. It, the things that I learned have, have served me very well, particularly the suspension things that I learned and the basic understanding to go into the other things that, that became very important from a tire standpoint. And, uh, it was, it was kind of during that point in time that, I sort of came out of my shell because they were trying to get somebody to be on the uh, the technical college student senate from the uh, from the industrial group, and nobody wanted to do it. And one of my instructors said, "Well, I think you should run for it." And I go, "I don't want to run for it." Well, I ended up getting elected to the uh, college student senate, and uh, that was an eye opener because. The other campus was all of the, uh, I guess today, in today's view, I would call them the liberal arts students, but they were not the people that were 
learning to weld and be diesel mechanics and <laughs> things of that nature. Right. And it was, uh, oh, Lord, it was painful. It had these Robert's Rules of Order, and you couldn't really talk unless you understood all of those things. One day, I'd finally had enough of the BS going on and threw my chair back against the wall and stood up and told them what I thought. While the uh, guy running the show was banging his gavel, telling me that I was out of order. And our uh, our next meeting, I got elected vice president. <laughs> <laughs> See how that works? <laughs> it, it, yeah, because it, it what I realized what I had done that day is I'd actually pulled my hands out of my pocket and apparently had raised them over my head like I was volunteering. <laughs> Look, he's got both hands in the air. <laughs> yeah. Mostly I was shaking them at him. <laughs> so <laughs> when you were when you're in college, were you still working at the gas station? Oh no. No? By the time uh, actually by the time I was in my senior year or getting between my junior and senior year, I was actually uh commuting over to a town about thirty miles away. And working part time at a uh, car dealership over there. Um, so once I went to uh, went to Madison to go to technical school, I got hired on at a uh, Volkswagen dealership. So I would uh, started school at uh, five thirty in the morning and would do school until noon, and then would start work at the car dealership also at noon, which was pretty interesting because I finally got it down to about six minutes between uh, school and, uh, <laughs> and work. And, uh, that was, uh, that was pretty enlightening. I was, uh, there was a big difference between the things I was learning to do at school and then going to work at a car dealership that worked on flat rate. Um, and for anybody that doesn't know how flat rate works, you know, the book says you're getting paid X to this job. And if it says you get paid for an hour to do the job and you can do it in 45 minutes, that's great. You still get paid for the hour and then you get started on the next job. If it takes you two and a half hours to do it. You still only get paid for, for one that hour. one hour. So uh, that was that that was pretty interesting trying to blend the uh what i was what i was learning uh from a technical standpoint at school and the reality of um okay i could be making more at a fast food pay place than i am here and uh but it was a it was a uh, great opportunity to uh figure out that while I loved working on vehicles, it wasn't going to be my life's calling. Um, took a lot of the fun out of it. It was, uh, and part of it was the people that owned the cars in many instances were not into the cars. You know, there's a, there's a big difference, which has helped me, uh, over the years, understanding that there are folks that are basically looking to get from a to B. Right. And the vehicle itself doesn't make any difference. <laughs> True. I just needed to start and get me there and get me back. And 
then there's folks that really have some passion and excitement about the vehicle. So there would be times that, you know, let us do this to your vehicle and you're going to be way happy. I'm like, we're not doing that. <laughs> do, do just enough so that it'll get me back from the store. Um, which is also something that I've kind of carried with me because my view of the tire industry is uh, kind of followed that same path. You know, there's, I have been very fortunate from the standpoint of the tires that I have dealt with over the years. I've been in a position to concentrate on the tires that people buy because they want their vehicle to do something fun or better. Right. And the people that just want something that holds air and keeps the belly of the vehicle from dragging down the road. I've, I've dealt with them a little bit, but fortunately uh, the folks that I have worked for have decided that I have such low interest in those things to keep me out of them uh, and let me concentrate on the stuff that I really have an interest and passion about. So uh, I was very fortunate from that standpoint. I, uh, I, I worked at that, uh, that dealership, I want to say two and a half years almost three years and then the economy kind of uh, went south and i was still sort of the low man on the totem pole so when they were uh, cutting back i was one of the first to be let go but that wasn't a problem because it was right at the start of hunting season so the uh, ducks and geese and deer caught hell that year perfect and uh about the time that was winding down it was suggested that i maybe should uh find myself a real job and out of all of the unusual things i uh ended up going to work for the wisconsin state patrol <laughs> really yeah now that's a surprise as a mechanic no you were no. law enforcement i was law enforcement huh. specific specifically my main duties uh my main duties were uh setting up and managing motor vehicle inspections okay. for the state of Wisconsin, which I managed to get, get out of jail free cards for a whole bunch of my friends because we would put together these things of, well, what, what kind of, what kind of modifications can be made to vehicles and have them still be safe? So there was, endless uh, folks that I ran around with that had done all kinds of wonderful things to their vehicles that that wasn't the way they left the showroom floor. Part of the deal that I negotiated was, you know, they, they'd get a little card. <laughs> so for whatever, for whatever vehicle violation, they might get stopped. They could pull out this, uh, this little thing from the Wisconsin state patrol saying, Nope, they're okay. <laughs> Carry nice. on. Oh yeah. I could have used a uh, friend like that. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, I, uh, I unfortunately kind of fell out of favor with the Colonel fairly early on because when I, uh, when I went through things, they had asked me about my driving record, which, uh, I do to this day. Remember I told them, I said, well, it's not too good. And they went, okay. And I'd been there, I think two months where I came in and I, I could tell when I came into the district that morning to uh, sign in and 
in get my car that uh, something was up. Yeah. <laughs> and the uh, and my captain was uh, standing out in the hall, which had this look of, oh man, you are making my life miserable. And so, uh, come on in. And the colonel was sitting behind his desk. <coughs> And they had that old computer paper that had all the dots in it that would, you know, print things out. He had this whole big stack of paper in front of him, and he's flipping over it. And he's kind of looking over his glasses at me and flipping it over. And then uh, I won't say exactly what he said, but something to the effect of, you said your driving record was not too good. (laughs) (laughs) That was an understatement. (laughs) There's not an employee in the entire state of Wisconsin that has a driving record that could rival what you have racked up. (laughs) (laughs) So I was kind of public enemy, uh, number one from the uh, top at that point in time. Uh, fortunately my captain, um, out of one of the vehicles that he had was a, uh, was an old Volkswagen Beetle. So uh, I used to uh, go work on that for him and we would uh, go out and tip a few and had a great time with him. But I, I pretty much figured out within, uh, within a year that law enforcement probably wasn't really my calling. Although I learned some very valuable things there. I remember, uh, I remember the one instructor when he, uh, when he chucked a shell into the uh, pump shotgun, he goes, that's a pretty distinctive sound. Well, yeah. <laughs> he goes, the criminal is still moving after you hear that sound. You better be ready to use this because criminals are born knowing what that sound is. <laughs> 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 and I also, I also learned the importance of seatbelts. Uh, because when we were doing the uh, driving instruction stuff, we had big old uh, Plymouth vinyl bench seats, and you'd go out with the driving instructor and uh, no seat belts on, and you'd kind of roll out onto the little course that they had set up. And um, the instructor would like to spike the brakes, which would bounce you off of that dash <laughs> like you'd been thrown off down it flight the stairs and uh said you know that wouldn't happen if you had your seat belt on and the next thing i learned about seat belts was when it came time to go out and drive if you were belted in you could actually concentrate on what you were doing with your hands driving because you were held behind the wheel and held in front of the pedals and uh we got a chance to play with that enough to uh if you didn't figure that out in the first hour there was really no hope for you and then of course they gave us the really important thing to encourage people to wear seat belts is you know when you go to uh write up an accident you don't have to be looking for the bodies so right. it, was, it was probably rather grim but those are those are the things that i still to this day remember <laughs> that I went through. lessons that stuck with me that's awesome and i and and to this day, I, if I'm rearranging vehicles in the driveway, I still have my seatbelt on before I uh, will back out into the street and park the vehicle in front of the uh, in front of the house. It's it's probably one of my only really really good habits. That is something that uh, my wife would like to see me do. 
I always tell her, I say, you know, I, she goes, um, you going to put your seatbelt on? And I said, yeah, I will. When we get on the interstate, she goes, more people get hurt or killed in their cars, you know, real close to home. And I said, that's because they are not paying attention. And, and, and all of that is entirely true, but it, it, it's literally, it, it's just one of those things that, that I do. No, that's <laughs> perfect. Maybe, that's great. Maybe my only good habit. <laughs> and and I learned it there. So it wasn't one of those things that I didn't get out of there. And, and I, uh, I got into the tire business then quite by accident. I had, uh, I had stopped at this gas station and was, uh, harassing one of the guys that I'd gone to school with, which was sort of like the second assistant manager there. And, and, uh, the guy that owned the place, uh, besides yelling at me for parking out in front where customers should be parking instead of having a uh, state patrol vehicle there, said, uh, I want you to run my tire store. And I kind of laughed at him and said, yeah, right. And he goes, no, I'm serious. I want, I want you to run my tire store. And I, uh, said, you don't have a tire store. He goes, no, but I'm going to. And I want you to, so I'll, I'll even take you out to dinner. And I thought, ooh, free food. So about three <laughs> days later, I went to dinner with him, and he laid out his grand plan of starting this tire store from scratch in a uh, in an abandoned car dealership, this huge building. And uh, I turned in my uh, <laughs> turned in my resignation papers, and. Uh, and I got into the tire business. It was uh, it was pretty interesting. I had uh, by that point in time, I had moved on from knowing that there was tires that I wouldn't get stuck out in the field, and tires that made good black marks. There were tires that were wide and fat and cool, and there were skinny, boring ass tires. Um, I hadn't really progressed to where I knew that there were radial and bias and bias belted and all of those things. But I went to work for that guy for $50 a week plus commission. And, um, it was a one man show. I, uh, I sold the tires. I mounted the tires. I had a wrecker there. So if I got a wrecker call, I would lock the door and, uh, and, uh, go out and pull the vehicle to wherever it, uh, needed to go. And I was pretty skinny back then because I think I made nothing more than $50 a week for the first three months I was working there. <laughs> and my and my rent was like $200 a month. So I was getting to the point where I was having to sell stuff just to uh, feed myself. <laughs> and uh, a, a, big, a big turning point, and I got real good at buying tires. Oh, my God. It was amazing. Every tire selling guy on the planet would come by and, all I had to do was buy 50 of these or a hundred of these. And it was a huge building. So there was no shortage of place to put these tires. Um, that also came to a head about three months into it because I had a building full of tires that I had sold precious few and the 90 day terms were all looking to have them, uh, paid for by that point in time. So I got pretty good at, loading trucks to haul tires away and it was at that point in time that the uh the uh the goodrich rep that uh had sold me some tires sat down with uh 
with the guy that owned the place and said, that kid's too stupid to sell tires. <laughs> <laughs> and I probably should have been offended by it, but he kind of had a point. Um, and I, I was really questioning how much longer I was really uh, wanting to uh, do that. But they, uh, he uh, introduced the owner. He goes, you know, Goodrich has got this training program and maybe we can uh, teach him a little something. And I uh, got involved in, got involved in that. And they sent me to uh, Chicago. The Goodrich had company owned stores at that point in time. And, Spent uh, spent a week working at uh, at an honest to goodness real tire store that was doing big business, which was would have been really helpful if I'd done that before I'd ever unlocked the door the first day, right? Because a lot of things that should have just been second nature, I was I was clueless, and uh, went back and started started selling some tires and I figured out that I really wasn't interested in the normal end of the tire business, but the big fat stuff, that was fun. That's what, that's what all my buddies were into. That's, and none of the normal tire stores at, at that point in time, you know, the industry has changed so much. Um, but you'd go into a tire store with an aluminum wheel and they would just about run you off, let you know, well, you know, we're not responsible for anything to uh, do with working on that sort of stuff. And, uh, that kind of became my niche. I wanted to work on that sort of stuff. I chased a lot of the rest of the business <laughs> that I, I probably should have had. I, I remember the, the, the Goodyear guy telling the owner, he goes, you know, you're missing out on 90% of the business out there. You sell, you're selling, you're selling all these things that we don't know even what people are doing with them, but why aren't you buying any of the rest of that? Why do you want to deal with the rest of that? And I would, I, we, we would do whatever it took to get a set of wheels and tires to fit your vehicle. And it's, it's funny. One of the guys, uh, my roommate, uh, after a while worked there at the shop and he still, he still kind of laughs. He goes, you know, it's hard to believe that we didn't end up in jail for the things that we would do. Because <laughs> uh, if you if you wanted to put that set on, we would move molecules to uh, to make them fit. And I had a couple buddies that were in the body shop business and folks that had nicer vehicles. It's like, well, we can grind and cut this, but yeah, oh, this is pretty nice. You might want to. Uh, might want to get a little nip and tuck from uh, a real body shop to uh, help this. So I, I kept my buddies in the body shop business uh, fairly busy. Uh, you know, at, the, at that point in time, the uh, the seventy Chevy trucks with the squared off fenders were a real fitment problem because the fenders curled underneath and ate up all of the room that should have allowed you to uh, have a good turning radius and. So they got real proficient at uh, at doing section cuts in them and opening it up enough so you could put like three sizes bigger tires on without any rubbing issues and and that really kind of became my uh, my deal and I had spent just a little bit of time getting to know some of the folks at the main office down in Chicago and 
Goodrich at that point in time was getting involved in a variety of motorsports. They were doing road racing stuff not far from me at, uh, at road America. So if I'd go up to road America, I could change tires for three days and generally walk away with a couple of free t-shirts and a jacket, maybe even a hat. And, uh, so I was, uh, I was kind of scab labor for, uh, those kind of things here again, got, got to start meeting some folks in the company, spending time with, uh, the engineers, you know, going, going over the pit wall with, uh, with the pad of paper to write down the temperatures when they were, uh, when they were out there with the pyrometers, uh, trying to help, uh, help teams with the setup. So I got exposed to a lot of things that really fascinated me like that pretty early on that didn't necessarily always relate to uh, running that store, but you don't necessarily need to be, uh, be uh, Einstein, but if you know a little more than anybody else around, you'll start attracting the, the, the folks that got questions or, or at the very least, it's kind of like being the tallest elf, you know, you're still not very tall, but so that end of the business, that end of the business appealed to me greatly. And, um, and the other part of it didn't. And I, uh, by the time I'd been there a year and a half, I had 26 people working for me because um, I had figured out how to uh, how to run some pretty successful promotions and my ability to sell tires and wheel packages and fill the service department because as I brought people in, we had the facility to do it. By that point in time, we were doing engines and transmissions and you name it. We were full service. Um I was a horrible manager. Oh my God. I can't believe somebody didn't kill me. Um, probably should have. And that was when the, uh, the guy that owned it decided that he was going to come over and we were going to be co-managers. And he was kind of a grumpy old guy. I think he was maybe 40. (laughs) I know nobody who's a grumpy old guy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He was maybe 40 and he was, he was a pretty good guy, but he was not as passionate about getting out of bed early in the morning as I was. <laughs> and, uh, he would, uh, on a pretty regular basis show up well after we had opened. And, uh, we used to have some spectacular battles out in the uh, shop when he'd come strolling in. And I thinking that we were co-managers didn't quite, equate with the employee employer uh, deal with light into them. If you're, if you're going to work here, you're going to get your ass out of bed and show up when everybody else does. And so I got fired on a pretty regular basis. Um, <laughs> that had last for an hour or two until somebody came in and was looking for something that he had no idea what they were talking about. And I was, busily packing up things that I had stashed in various corners of the place. And I'd go, well, I'd go talk to him, but I don't work here anymore. And we'd have amends and I'd go back and, uh, sell something. And he would look at me sort of astonished of, I don't know how you, how you managed to do that. <laughs> but I finally got, finally got fired for good. Um, after I'd gone on vacation, I came back and business had been horrible while I was away, which 
I kind of expected it was I had I had a huge sale right before I left and now figured well that way I got all my customers taken care of and I came back and said well I can't afford to pay you for your vacation and we debated for a while whether I quit or was fired but I wasn't getting paid for uh, my vacation so I kind of looked at it as I got fired and called one of the guys I knew at Goodrich and said you know, I was just out in Montana. I think I'd like to move out there. You know, anybody looking for help? And uh, that's when he said, well, we know somebody who's looking for help, but why would you go to Montana? And I said, well, it's pretty cool. And I said, well, we might have something for you in Ohio. And I go, I don't think I want to go to Ohio. <laughs> I said, well, we're nothing. nothing's done, and we'd like to put you on the list. And I said, well, Okay, if you wanted me on the list, why didn't you? Well, we can't. We couldn't tell you this when you were working for one of our customers. So uh, I said, "Well, how long is this going to be before you decide?" And they went, "Well, might be a few months." I went, "Well, I'll go to work for this guy. I'm pretty certain." They went, "No, you don't understand. You can't go to work for another tire dealer." So I went to work in a body shop, and uh, about a week after I went to work there, they determined that giving me a piece of worn-out sandpaper and a broom was really where my talents lied. Um, <laughs> although I, I built a paint booth big enough to pull a tractor trailer in. Nice. Yeah. It, it had the biggest box of bolts. That box of bolts had probably filled three quarters of my office. <laughs> so I built that during the time that I was there, went to Akron, Ohio in a borrowed suit from my dad, because my mother was insistent, you know, this is a big company. They'll want you in a suit. Uh, I said, no, I've met these guys. None of them ever wear suits. Well, I was meeting them at the track doing events. That was that was the land of three-piece suits and ties and uh, shiny wingtips. Uh, so mom's advice was good. I managed to get through the interviews and uh, actually only lasted about three months at the headquarters office because even then they determined that my office skills were were not great. I needed to be out doing things. And I did everything from, we started doing everything from car shows to road racing stuff. Goodrich had gotten started in off-road racing at that point in time. So, you know, that you'd go out with the sales guys during the week talking about tires during the week and come, come Friday morning, you were uh, jumping jumping in the car or the van or jumping on an airplane and heading off to an event. And uh, it was a seven day a week deal. I got, I got good at putting up tents and any, any variety of things. We, uh, I, I, I had one boss who said, you know, you, you do some things that really irritate folks around here, but as long as I don't catch you sitting still, I can I can cover up any of your ills. So uh <laughs> which was like getting handed both ends of the rope. And we had the access that we had to the tire engineers and, and designers and the and the chemistry guys doing the compounding and you know the the whole facility there was pretty fascinating and and when you weren't out doing something, you could walk down the hall, get on the elevator, go, go down to the basement to watch. Uh, the first time I watched high speed testing was, uh, 
me and a couple of the other guys. So uh, one that I know that you've uh, crossed paths with uh, Richard Winchester. Absolutely. And uh, Richard and I and another guy that we worked with are down there, and we'd all had uh, similar misspent youth of uh, cars that we drove way faster than we should have. And we're watching this tire as they're increasing the speed and they're increasing the speed and the tire starts deforming and uh, they keep wicking it up and pretty soon with the strobe light the tire instead of looking around looked more the shape of a uh, of a stop sign and they're monitoring the temperatures on the sidewall and the tread there's all kinds of fascinating things going on and we're looking at this and it was kind of one of those moments we looked at one another going, holy crap. Because <laughs> we, we had all experienced trying to balance tires on our various uh, vehicles of go fast. I had a, I had this big black cyclone GT that I, I swear to God, I couldn't keep the thing on the road much over 140 miles an hour because it would shake so violently. And <laughs> now you knew why. <laughs> now I knew why. And, you know, I would would go back, take them off, put them on the bubble balancer, move the weights around, go back out. Sometimes it'd be a little better. But the fact that the tire didn't have the integrity to stay round, so the part that was flat against the ground was still flat when it came back around. And when it hit the pavement, that would cause what they call standing wave. And you'd watch these little shock waves go up the sidewall. The tread area of a tire is the part where heat's generated, and the sidewall of a tire is where tires vent the heat out. They're kind of like an air-cooled engine from that standpoint. When you start getting that standing wave going up the sidewall, the sidewall now becomes a, uh, a heat-generating part of the tire as well. The next thing that happens is what they lovingly refer to as catastrophic air loss. For us, it was an extremely loud sound and pieces of stuff flying around on the other side of the glass. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it's it's one of those things I get pretty preachy with folks uh, when they come off the trail and are going to head to town of, you know, you spend a lot of money on that uh, on that set of tires don't ruin them by not putting air back in them because you don't have to go very far, very fast. And the same principle applies. You're turning that sidewall into a heat generating source instead of a heat venting source. I don't care if it's a cheap tire or an expensive tire or what company made it. it it's one of those things you got to get the heat for, for as much as, I've uh, I've gotten to play with a lot of stuff, trying to uh, help it live under abusive situations. Heat still kills more tires than anything else out there. Right, and it's uh, it was it was those sort of things that kind of got me even more fascinated. You know, when when you look at a tire, and I don't care who made it, it's it's literally some fabric that could have ended up in a tent or a shirt and some rubbery goo that could have been sealing a windshield and uh and some wire that could have maybe been in a screen door and it's mixed together <laughs> in a fashion that goes out and withstands incredible dynamic forces 
you know, five years into this, I thought I knew everything there was to know about tires. I'm, I'm just now scratching the surface and, and the things that they keep learning. It's one of those things that I, I, I look back and thought, man, I wish I would have been a better student because uh, academically I could have, uh, I could have gotten a much greater understanding than I, and I have been very fortunate that the, uh, the engineers tolerate my, uh, my sort of endless array of questions of, okay, so you've taught me that this, this is a constant. Right. <laughs> so now that I've done this, this is resulting as uh, smart as I think I get on some things. They sometimes go, Okay. Yeah, you 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 were you were right up there at about ninety five percent, but you missed that other five percent that greatly impacts the next uh, the next piece of it. I've been really fortunate; those guys in particular uh, taking the time with me, and and I had finally gotten to the point where uh, they would ship me tires to uh, let us know what you think of these. Ooh, nice. <laughs> yeah. And apparently, the more good answers you came up with, the more often you would get to do that. And I just one of the last projects that I did last year is uh, I did a project for the uh, legal department, the the history of all terrain tires as they exist today. And even when I was working at the retail store, the uh, the Armstrong True Track was it. That was it. You know, the, that was that was the it tire to have. Right. You know, they, I, I look back now and I'm like, boy, that thing was nothing special. But at that point in time, the thing had a tread design that worked pretty good. They were they were horrible to drive on. They weren't round. They were tough as nails. They made all kinds of noise. But it was the best thing that the industry had produced. And most of the rest of the industry had such little interest in the recreational uh, off-roader at that point in time. Nobody had really paid them any attention. And Armstrong had managed to come up with a tire that far and away exceeded what anybody else in the industry was was uh, offering at that point in time. But they, I, I also continued to use them as an example with uh, with folks that will listen to me because they probably, I don't know, Probably had 90% of the market share uh, when I was working in retail for folks that wanted tires like that. And Armstrong Tire doesn't exist anymore. They uh, they didn't grow with the with the with technology. They didn't put their money. They 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 they, they kind of got to the top of the plateau, and that was the end of the R and D. Right. And uh, my guess is there were probably. Probably designers and, and developers that went, well, let us work on something else. And I'll be, I'll, I'll, I'll cast a vote that there was a bean counter somewhere going, ah, we're making money now. We don't need to be spending more money coming up with something else. Exactly. I've uh, been pretty fortunate working for an outfit that uh, outspends the rest of the industry on R&D. I, uh, I tease them. I said, you know, I work for an engineering firm that unfortunately has to produce a product to feed the engineering beast. <laughs> I do truly believe that because I, I think in some instances they would work on, they would work on a project their entire career of, 
you know, we're, we're this close to another breakthrough. Okay. Well, you've already hit all the, you've already hit all the targets for this product. <laughs> how about, how about we draw a line in the sand and we start building some of those? That's one of the other things in the industry is the industry is progressed. There's still, you got to have the ability to build it because you can design it. You can have guys that can build, well, we can build a dozen of these this week. Okay, now that's not going to cut it. We need to be building like 10,000 of those a day. Yeah, I don't think there's really the equipment or the facility that will allow us to do that. So there's always there's always that part of the equation that needs to be brought into play of just be, just because the guy with the huge brain was able to engineer it and, and build it in a lab, you, you've, you've got to then be able to put it into production so that you can get it out to the consumer. And I, this industry, like everything else, and the impact of, of COVID, the product shortages have been absolutely ridiculous. You know, I've, uh, the, the last three years, I've spent as much time looking for tires as I have just about anything else in my job, which is really, really doesn't, really isn't on my job description in any way, shape, or form. But, you know, I'm going to go do a track event. Uh, I'm going to need uh, 60, 80 tires. Oh, we don't, ha- we don't have any of those. Well, how about this size? Oh, we don't have any of those. You go through eight sizes to uh, try and come up with enough tires to just go out and do the events. It, it's been ridiculous. And it's not like the plants were closed down. It just inability to keep up because people kept buying tires. Yes. And I think for, for, for the enthusiasts, you know, the folks that were going to go out trail riding or the guys that were going to go out racing or go out and do, you know, solo one events or road racing, whatever the, the case might be, they were still doing that sort of stuff <laughs> and still needing products to go do with it. And, you know, I know other guys in the industry that I'm not certain if they were worse off or, or better off than, uh, than we were, but you know, it was, a, and, and still is a, way too much of a battle of trying to keep up. And part of that, you know, is the complexity that's, that's happened in the industry. And I like to, I like to look at the example of, you know, you go to one of the, the high tech, uh, soda dispensers <laughs> and, uh, there's a barbecue place that we go to. That's got one of them. And when I was a kid, you could get Coke. Yep. Now you could, you could, you could get it in a couple different size bottles, but you could get Coke. And I believe there's somewhere in the neighborhood of 40 different varieties of Coke, depending upon which combination of buttons you press on this machine. Get it with caffeine. You can get it with lime you can get it without caffeine you can get it with any sugar yeah so so the complexity there you know when the the first goodrich radial all-terrain that uh that i sold and for the first almost two years that goodrich produced that tire they made it in one size it was a 12 r15 so when you were building them you were building that one size well now I believe there's 73 different SKUs in in just 
the KO2 family of tires. Wow. So while you're able to be far more specific in the fitment, instead of doing what I was doing of, well, we're going to end up cutting your fenders. You want this tire? We'll get it underneath there, but it's going to, it'll involve moving some molecules. The number of different options that come into play certainly ties up plant capacity because every time you change, you're shutting down for a shift to change molds. And, you know, now instead of having, you know, a few molds at the end of the line, you've got uh, the capital investment from a tire manufacturer standpoint. And I, tires are, tires are uh, certainly not inexpensive, but uh, I can tell you from the inside, it's, it's not the, uh, it's not the thing that, uh, if you were if you were doing a business thesis and you said, okay, I've got a billion dollars and I'm going to go out, I'm going to get involved in an industry and and make a big killing. Uh, if you if you went in to your uh, your final professor and said, I'm going to start a tire company, they'd laugh you out of the room because <laughs> <laughs> the margin the margin based on the investment is uh, there's certainly money to be made, but it's not. It, it it's one of those things and i i'm a consumer too i did i just got just got myself a set of uh 37 inch uh km3s for uh for the truck and i get a pretty good deal and whew, it was still sort of breathtaking <laughs> right i you know looking at at what you guys have done um with that you know bfg michelin when you guys came into the rock crawling scene, especially, is where I saw it. Is you guys really outthought and outpromoted the brands that were existing? You know, at that point, it was TSLs and Goodyear had tires that most everybody was competing on, and you guys yeah, came in Wrangler MTRs. Yep, and then you guys came in and said, you know, we're gonna we're going to do things a little differently and it is a great lesson if anybody wants to learn how to take over a a sport what you guys what you guys did at least in the rock crawling side of it i wasn't familiar well, with the desert racing side i know that there's a there's a lot more tire companies involved in the desert racing or short course than there are in the rock crawling anymore but there you know you guys still came in there as you know, I mean, Goodyear did not want to see you guys pull into town. Well, understand, we didn't know anything. We were dumb as a box of rocks. I mean, I, I got a call over Christmas holidays from uh, from the lady that was uh, in charge of of BFG light truck tires. She apparently uh, had used up all of her vacation, so she was actually in the office, which over the Christmas holidays was probably like a ghost town and was sitting there flipping through magazines and called me up and said, what do you know about rock crawling? And I went, well, uh, I think Richard's done something with that down in the southeast. I said, I went to... uh, I went to one up in Cedar City and uh, was pretty uh pretty surprised because people were driving up stuff that uh back when i was backpacking i'm not certain i would have <laughs> tried walking up this stuff let alone driving on it and she 
proceeded to let me know, well, you know, Goodyear's winning everything there and, and, and I want you to stop that. <laughs> I went, <laughs> oh, okay. What does that mean? <laughs> well, I, you, I want you to stop that. Oh, okay. And she was pretty serious and I, I'd always liked working for her. She, she was, one one of the folks that I, I had a lot of respect for in the office that she was not mincing any words. I, my charge at that point in time was to figure this out and uh, called called my uh, my partner in crime Frank and uh, and and I was an expert in rock crawling compared to Frank because I'd actually been to one. <laughs> <laughs> And we spent a couple of days talking about it, and uh, I had come to know the Curry family. Thought, you know what? I'm I'm gonna call Ray, see if I can get John's number, and uh, started talking with John, and he uh, was incredibly, incredibly patient and helpful, answering questions, making recommendations. Got back with Frank, worked on a little more. Tied, like I say, John would answer more questions, and and uh, we had a guy inside that was uh, was one of the, as lovingly referred to some of them as tire nerds, that was anxious to do something really special. Um, by the name of Gary Innerline, and. told this lady well here's 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 what we think it's going to cost us and you know at that point in time help budgets are already set for the following year so that wasn't like we we were going to get a king's ransom to uh, go out and, and buy things up but we came up with a plan to first off we need to develop some credibility in this arena which means we need to get out there and meet these folks and the best way to meet these folks is to do what we had done in desert racing is we go out there to help everybody compete, whether they're on our tires or anybody else's. Cause when the word, when the word spreads that you've got a guy that's a uh, great mechanic and you got a guy that's a great welder and you got, you got the ability to help, help get people back in the game. Um, people will come introduce themselves to you. <laughs> Right. And we had, uh, we had the opportunity to learn a lot from our potential customer base, um, just by showing up and be willing to, uh, to help. You know, I had, I had learned particularly with short course, uh, off road stuff. Cause I'd done quite a bit of that, but it was all about the edge. You need to get, you need to get the right sharp edge going in the right direction to, uh, cause it, cause if you could go figure out the track and do the right grooving pattern prior to an event, <coughs> you could, you could give your guys a, uh, a real advantage. And so I kind of had that, going in well it didn't take me long to realize you know what it's not about the edge <laughs> it's about it's about getting contact I think it was tracy jordan that really kind of hammered that into my thick skull playing with some new tires with real sharp edges and tires that 
he had burned all the edge off to bevel the the face of the block element so that when it would grab an edge, there would still be more contact to it. And the dynamics of rock crawling, and it's, I still find it sort of surprising because there's a lot of people that have been pretty good at it that I don't think really understand the fact that gravity plays a big role in the traction a tire can provide you with. You know, the the load you place on that contact patch greatly impacts its ability to generate grip. Yes. And when you're when you're trying to go up something um, and you look at how gravitational forces work and you draw a straight line down through that tire and sometimes where gravity is going to have its greatest impact, that part, that area of the tire might have already left the surface. So you're trying to get whatever grip you can out of the last little tail end piece of that contact patch. Cause the rest of it, you know, the, that, that big uh, slab of rock that you're trying to go up, gravity isn't sucking you into it. True. <laughs> it's, it's doing everything it can to, uh, to prevent you from doing that because you're no longer concentrating the gravitational force against the center of the contact patch. So there is, for as much as I wasn't wasn't ever cut out to be an academic achiever, learning those sort of principles helped a ton in terms of why isn't this working and why and why is that one going to work? And the uh, you know the the number of people that you know took our existing product that really nobody was using after we showed up were willing to give us a shot of. Uh, you know, may, maybe the stuff we're already making is is pretty damn good at this, which it actually proved to be the case. You know, Lance Lance Clifford and uh, Mike Schaefer went out and uh, and won ARCA the first year on the existing mud terrain, which was both good and bad. It, it was one of those things where some of the folks in-house where we were trying to uh, get them to spend spend a little more money on a very limited uh, product from a development standpoint. It's like, well, we've already got a tire that apparently we can win at. And uh, I had one boss's boss that uh, we didn't necessarily see eye to eye. Cause I remember in one meeting I was in there and I was, I was, uh, I was not very happy. We had just come back from a desert race and we had won 14 out of 16 classes. And I was pretty upset because I thought we were going to get a clean sweep. And I was informed that it was unrealistic for me to expect that we would win everything there was to win. And I uh, informed her that day that uh, you can't seriously be sending us out there to finish second. Right. <laughs> if we were going out there to finish second, we ain't going. <laughs> and, and there was a number of other people sitting around there with okay, this is why you will never be vice president here because you are cutting off your nose despite your face. But, <laughs> you know, that fortunately the uh, folks that I was much closer to within the uh, the organization had the same passion for things. And while what she was saying might have been realistic, it wasn't a mindset that any of us were willing to operate with and, and don't to this day. 
you know, if if you've got any kind of competitive spirit, you got to believe you've you've got a shot. <laughs> if right. not, one of the things that I noticed that you guys did, it was up in Vernal for an ARCA event. I think it was is when I really realized it, or Washington or whatever that the town was up there. You guys were putting BFGs on anybody that would would run them, and. You know, it was basically, you know, anybody who wants to run them, we're going to sponsor. And then as time went on, you guys knew who the winners winners were going to be, the best. And you took those guys and those guys that really became sponsored. And you took the, you ended up taking the the majority of the best drivers and getting them on your tire, which you had, you know, a, a a superior product anyhow, especially once the, the crawler was out there that, uh, and then having those best teams that, you know, you guys could, would be across the podium. Well, actually, Rich, you might've, you might've seen us put a lot of tires on a lot of people's vehicles, but we also took those tires back. Right. (laughs) We would, we, we, we would put you on a set of tires for an event. But they those the, those weren't your tires to take home with you, because okay. <laughs> because we had tires that that went on lots of different people's vehicles during the course of the season. It was one of those. Uh, uh, this is a horrible thing to say, but you know we were kind of like the guys giving out drug samples down by the high school. Right. The first <laughs> the first the first sample. This one's on me. So. Before you go uh, throw down a bunch of your money, um, go and run a set of these for the weekend and uh, see how you like them. You know, that was something I had already learned from not necessarily competition, but, you know, when I started going to Moab, we would, uh, and there we would have them mounted up on wheels. So we'd maybe have 30 sets of wheels and tires and you could come up and sign up in the morning. We'd, uh, we'd jack up your rig bolt on a set and you could go, uh, go run whatever trail you were going to run and uh, come back at the end of the day. And we would, uh, take them off and put your wheels and tires back on. So the, uh, it, you're right. There was a lot of people that look, it probably, probably looked like we were giving away a lot of tires. I can tell you as I was the guy that was uh, man- managing that inventory, <laughs> it was a scant few uh, went out and stayed out. And you're absolutely right. There were guys in the process of doing that, that we learned pretty quickly were the folks that were more capable of giving us good feedback. It's sad to say there were some, there were some folks that, would come back and you'd start asking them, okay, well, how did they do this? How did they do that? I think they're about the same as what I was on. Okay. Well, and weren't really drivers are all that into it. You know, there's the, were they out there hoping to win? Yeah. But they weren't out there honing their craft, coming up with a plan to win. Right. And, and, in the process of doing that, it became pretty apparent, you know, there were not everybody was equal from both what they were doing vehicle wise. But the intriguing thing was how creative the people were 
from the vehicle designs and applications and the things that they would come up with, it was uh, it was pretty astonishing to watch the watch the sport evolve there as we were playing with the uh, with the different tires. I, I know uh, we had more than one person tell us that there's no way you can you can even think about competing because you don't have a 44 inch tire and uh oh so isn't isn't the uh best we can tell the objective here is to get up that face get around maneuver through those cones get back down through here and do it cleanly and also in a reasonable amount of time well yeah but you can't do that unless you got 44 as well as people started seeing well <laughs> a 37 inch tire is in the right hands for the right reasons is doing that better than uh, than the 44s um kind of started poking some holes in that argument and you know there's certainly depending upon the obstacle there's there's uh there's no substitute for uh increased radius but uh if you can't control that increased radius, you know, that was that was another big hurdle as our our thirty sevens were on seventeen inch wheels and we had huge pushback from so many of the folks of, you know, if you if you if you made a fifteen inch, which is what I really need, but as you extended that sidewall, your ability to control the tread face diminished. And with the kind of angles and everything else that was involved there, you needed to be able to control that tread face and get it to do what you wanted it to do, not have it flopping around out there on the end of this very long sidewall. There was there was a time where I was beginning to think, man, you know, if, if you guys are trying to uh, make certain that we can get more share here and increase our likelihood of being successful, it would sure help if we had that 15-inch. And they go, nope, here's why, and we're sticking with this. And I I, uh, I was glad I listened to the guys with the big brains because they ended up being not a big surprise. That's why they're the guys with the big brains. They were right. Yep. Um, and lo- long before – you know, 17s in today's market is hardly viewed as exotic. But uh, if you remember back then, 17s were kind of, that's, yeah, why would we do that? Um, and the things that they do from a construction standpoint to allow the contact patch or the footprint of the tire, you know, so many of the tires, and we still see it in the industry today, particularly when you're dealing with big, you know, mud-type tires, you know, you, you're going to build something that's going to drive down the road. Well, you've got to create some on-center feel so it's not like a big mush ball and it'll track somewhat true down the road. And the easiest way for most folks to do that is to use fairly long center blocks within the uh, within the footprint. If you look at the progression of, of just the Goodrich mud terrain family, and if you set them one next to each other, the length of those block elements from the first generation to the current generation, first ones were probably three times the length. And that was the way they were designing the tire. And based on what we thought we knew at the time, that was a great way of doing it. But if you want to ensure even greater development capabilities of the tire, 
um, you don't want that footprint buckling and actually reducing the, the footprint. And unfortunately, unless you got some pretty sophisticated stuff or a uh, solid glass rock that you can look up at and see how it's working, sort of hard to, uh, hard to figure out that, Ooh, I've actually reduced the rubber that I've got wrapping around that rock because those block elements are binding up and pulling that part of the tire. I can't see anymore off of the obstacle. And that, you know, it comes back to what we mentioned earlier about the R and D, you know, having, having guys that are, are, you know, passionate about the stuff to get out and, and see what it is that, that you ultimately wanted to do and then go back to the lab and design tests and, and capabilities of, of sorting out some of the shortcomings of existing product to further, further enhance the capabilities. You know, the, the latest, uh, the latest edition, you get no lift out of the, out of the footprint, whether you're at 65 pounds or four pounds. The only thing you get is a much longer contact patch. There's there's absolutely no binding or interference on those block elements as you air down. And it's only taken 27 years. <laughs> <laughs> it happened it happened overnight. <laughs> um but you know the incremental car- carving out a target having the right target for the right audience and then let the guys with the big brains work towards those ends. And uh, I'm very fortunate from that standpoint. And, you know, the, the amazing thing looking at the industry is the uh, bad tires and the good tires have all gotten so much better. And the, uh, the, the tough thing that happens at, at the retail stores for, uh, for consumers is the consumer doesn't do a great job of focusing on what they really want or need the tire to do. True. They get all caught up in what's it going to cost me. And the guy at the store gets lazy. Some of them will start out with good intentions of asking the right questions, but they get lazy and then they get into the, what's it going to cost. And you miss out on, doing a great job of targeting the exact right product for that consumer's needs. You know, the best, best tire in the world misapplied is a piece of crap. Right. I I see that a lot across the industry as a whole off-road. I've got a lot of friends or know a lot of people that have shops, retail outlets, um, whether they're just, you know, I mean, I got my start, at Sears, um, and went through training with Michelin and BFG and Pirelli and Yokohama and all the different companies of tires that we sold. I went to training classes and learned about construction and, and why one tire would perform better than maybe another tire. The same holds true for suspension, steering, any product out there. And you always have you know, like say a lift company, you have, you have such a variety of lifts and how to, how to get a vehicle lifted. You know, you've got the, the run of the mill, lower end, 
guy wants a, a mall crawler that's going to be lifted and, you know, it's never going to take it off road. Okay. So you have a, a low dollar entry point for that guy. And then you have, you know, 10 different product lines in between to where all of a sudden, you know, the guys at a, you know, a stage four or five or whatever a company might call it, where you have all the cool stuff that, that'll make it perform even better. Tires, you know, are no different than that. You know, every tire. Oh, and every, and, and there, it's, it's the exact, it, you're, you're spot on with it. I, I remember a, a suspension engineer from a company that I was doing some stuff with and I was uh, being fairly critical of uh, something that they had just come out with. And the guy said, it's, it, wait a minute. You, do you understand why we built this kit the way that we built this kit? And I go, no, I don't. Cause that obviously this is not, this is not working. He goes, we built this kit so that the guy that buys it can put some of your God awful, great big tires underneath their vehicle. So that when they go down to the seven 11, the folks at the seven 11 will go, wow, man, look at that. That guy is not probably going to jump a curb with <laughs> right your tires or this suspension kit. And Hopefully. I go, well, yeah, because you could, you don't, because that suspension got way too much kick to it he goes no you need to understand the right the right product to do you know and and the guy that buys that lift kit that decides that he's going to go out and uh, run up four dice creek trail with it and uh have the articulation and the loading that he wants is uh well hopefully he's invested well in a winch and has some buddies that will help him get up to camp exactly and uh, one of the things that I that I've noticed in the tire industry is that people don't understand sticky compared to soft. You know, somebody will say, "Well, I've got soft tires out there. My durometer rating is this," and I'm like, "It isn't about how soft the compound is. It's about how the rebound characteristics of the compound is." And they look at me like I'm, you know, talking Martian or something. You know, I, I give them the old thumbnail or, you know, imprint into the tire to see how fast it fills itself back in. And then I say, okay, now compare the best tires out there on the market for competitive rock crawling or even just trail riding. And now do it with this tire that claims to be the softest tire. And what do you see? You know, and that's one of the things that I thought you guys did a really good job at was, was figuring out that rebound. Yeah, how how rubber compound and you know that that goes back to some things that I guess the first that I was getting schooled on that goes back to road racing um, because all the road racing that we were doing early on was on treaded tires and you wanted to make the things sticky. That's what you know. Whether, whether you're road racing or rock crawling or autocrossing or you want to make the thing stick. Well, softerometer, pretty ancient way of, uh, of trying to get something to stick. And with a softerometer on a treaded tire, you could 
you, you could think you were going to stick and you'd go hauling butt at speed around the corner and you could watch pieces of your tire head off towards the uh, outside of the turn. So developing the chemical characteristics to get that rubber to absorb that energy. And you, you probably remember I used to carry around a bunch of strips of rubber from from different tires and we would uh we would take and cut sections out of them and twist them up like a pretzel and some you twist it up like a pretzel and as soon as you let go of one end of that strip it would snap back like a rubber band and there were others that you could twist up and set on the workbench and it might be the next couple of minutes before it would finally get itself back to its original shape. Right. So how, and, and you could have literally the same durometer hardness across the board in all of those, but the, uh, I couldn't spell this to save my life and probably will mispronounce it, but the hysteretic properties of how the rubber compound absorbs and releases energy um plays a big role there it's one of the big challenges the industry is facing now with trying to further reduce the rolling resistance in a tire for an electric vehicle to effectively extend its its range and so it's an area that's getting tremendous amount of attention currently because you still need those vehicles to have the ability to stop on wet roads, dry roads, snow-covered roads. So you can't you can't take what people would think as well. Just make make a rubber compound that's like a bowling ball and uh, reduce your rolling resistance. So the the ability to manage that energy effectively is a far greater thing, and trying to think of a uh, reasonable analogy here but if if you were to look at a a tire that we would develop with a with what the consumer may call the sticky compound that might cost you a couple miles per gallon out on the road yes and it's and it's not necessarily because it's like bubblegum stick it's because of the way that it deals with managing the energy in the footprint if that makes sense, which um, I should have a better, I should have a better analogy than that. But that's that's kind of what you're fighting there is you're 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 skewing the dial over to okay, we we want this to to uh, absorb the energy. I I had an opportunity years ago. We had five different tires, and we were all playing at Moab, and we had this one that was fantastic. It would, we could put them, we could put them on the vehicle and we could start up the bowl and we would then measure how far up the bowl before they would break loose. And that set of tires, that compound outclimbed anything else that we had. But once, once you had the least amount of slippage, you went to the bottom of that bowl in a blink. I mean, it was like <laughs> first time it happened. We were lucky we didn't uh, flop the vehicle on its side because it was like, wow, boom, 
just no, no control, no feedback. And, uh, and the, the compound that was like third from, from the highest was by far the, uh, the compound that everyone preferred because you could pull it up to that point and you could just play with it. <laughs> you could, you could add a little more juice. You could take a little more juice away. You could kind of, you could kind of turn the wheel to try and get it to find another path up there and all maintaining control. And that was all about the, the the property of that rubber compound, not the durometer softness that allowed you to do that. Right. Um, and it's, uh, it's, you know, I, I got a chance to spend a little time with one of the compounders, uh, Saturday down at the mint 400. And, uh, I always like to tease those guys. I said, you know, you guys all look like normal guys when, uh, whenever, whenever the mirror mortals were around, I said, but you know, the last, the last time I was in the lab down there at, at Mark, I said, I, uh, I got done and, uh, thank the guys for spending some time with me. I said, well, now that, now that we're going to leave, uh, you guys can put on your, uh, cloaks and your, uh, pointy hats and, uh, <laughs> go back to standing around the cauldron chanting and throwing in pinches of, uh, this and that. And they all stood there and kind of looked at me with this. You're not supposed to know that look on their face. So when I was telling this guy that, he just kind of gave me this little wry smile, like so. <laughs> it it really is is a uh, is a pretty magical thing that uh, that those guys do, and and it's a it's a constant chase. You know, you you have to you have to design that rubber compound. Everybody wants a tire that will last a million a million miles. Um, and certainly the, the consu most consumers do, and the technology exists to do that. Right. If you look at, if you look at, uh, tires that we would produce for 18 wheelers, you know, they'll maybe, I don't know, run 250,000 miles. Um, and then that casing is guaranteed for like three recaps afterwards. So you need to, you need to look at, does the compound have enough grip for its intended use? And then matching that up with a casing design that will last that long. So as you, as you look at, you know, you look at a light truck tire, you know, 50, 60,000 miles seems to be kind of the target that uh, everybody in the industry is, is shooting at. Well, you also want to make certain that you've got a carcass that will last 50 or 60,000 miles. Cause if you've got tread rubber that'll last 50 or 60,000 miles, but the carcass won't. Right. What good carcass is it? decides I don't want to play after about 40. Um, but you also don't want to necessarily have a carcass that'll last 150,000 miles and a, and a rubber compound that's gone in, in 50. So there's, there's uh there's so many things that the guys when they're trying to bring all the different pieces together to make because whether it's the company i work for or any of the rest of them they don't want to be the next armstrong <laughs> they, right they they, they want to be around um for another you know we at bfg we uh a couple of years ago, we celebrated our 
our 150th anniversary. They, they plan on they plan on being around for an awfully long time. Uh, so you got you got to make certain that you're making wise decisions to make certain that the products at the end of the day. You know, I'm a I'm a hardcore capitalist. There's there's nothing wrong with being profitable, um, but you also need to be competitive, and you need to you need to have a product that is a good value for the consumer, and that's that's all the things that the the guys with the big brains are charged with trying to hit all those targets so they can so they can deliver on the uh, on the marketing people's promises who aren't necessarily always tire people no it's better when they are <laughs> it is <laughs> I, you know we get we get into things where and and i expect this trend to grow quite honestly just kind of by nature of the consumer but you know we we now have tires that have a different design on one side than they have on the other you know that i think that kind of started when we had white wall on one side and black wall on the other raised white letter on one side well now now we've got stuff on the sidewall of tires. You've got different stuff on one sidewall than you've got on the other sidewall. That's okay. There's really nothing wrong with it. But is it is it aesthetics or is it function? I think and, it's. I think it's. I think it's. It's a sales tool. Yeah, is what it is. Yeah, I've, I've, I have, I have taunted some of the big brain guys with. Uh, so if you made it look like this on one side and then on the other side, uh, and they just look at me with, I thought you wanted it to do this. <laughs> well, we do. <laughs> then why? <laughs> then why would you want the other side to to not do what we've designed this side to do? <laughs> well, one of the things with so design... I don't see us doing that anytime soon. Good. It's uh, but there's a market for it. Oh yeah, and and it's. Who am I to say it's wrong? It's just not. It's it's uh, it's form over function. Certainly from a traction or durability standpoint, when you look at light truck tires, that that I am pretty uh, pretty firm on viewing. Right. Well, with with the magazine, you know, I try to uh, I try to do tire tests, and so I'm not always running the same sets of tires on my on my vehicles, and it's amazing especially with with the raptor the difference in how tires handle on the pavement um you, you don't see it so much when you're in the sand or in the snow or in the on dirt roads but when you're on pavement at speed a tire will will hold itself what i like to call hold itself in line going down the road without a shimmy yeah. and then you get another tire or you see, take that same tire and you go above the suggested speed limit of the United States and you'll start to feel that tire start to shimmy. And then you get another tire that has no shimmy at any speed that you drive it. And what I've noticed is the way that that tire is designed in tread block design, you know, whether they're, they're, they're squared or whether they're stacked or angled, um, Stacked and stacked or angled tread blocks um, don't shimmy as much because it the the properties of of a of a triangle over a box, you know, is is more stable. Is the easiest way to explain it. And it's actually the things that you can't see 
that probably play an even greater role in that sort of stuff, Rich. You know, okay. they they can tweak the chord angles ever so slightly and change those kind of characteristics in attire pretty dramatically. I've I've for the long time uh, I, I taught guys say you know we ever evolve as an industry to where tires are clear the uh, the the low end of the tire business will go away because <laughs> right. you'll look in there because now you know you look at the sidewall and it says okay well there's polyester and steel in there what you don't see is does this have 038 gauge wire with three wraps or four wraps and does it have eight cord ends per inch or does it have 19 cord ends per inch and and i i could go on in mind-numbing stuff that i have been exposed to there but the 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 differences are pretty staggering and you look at you look at um, even going back to the development of the crawler you know we we were already making baja tas which were kind of the the it tire for desert racing um and one of the things that helped it become the it tire for desert racing was the uh, spring rate that we had developed and designed into the sidewall um and the tire tire was you know certainly uh, kind of the standard at that point in time in terms of toughness and durability and when we first uh, tried rock crawling with those it was oh my god these are horrible right well, that spring rate <laughs> that spring rate would well okay you're you're not going to rip the sidewall out of one of these uh, rock crawling with it uh, it's not that you can't but you you will have earned it by the time you do um <laughs> we had to get rid of that spring rate and still maintain all of that durability so the the things that you can't see because the sidewall looked virtually virtually identical uh early on it was the things from an interior an interior reinforcement standpoint so when you're when you're looking at what your uh what your priorities are and as the uh, company is always working on next generation stuff you know that's uh particularly with some of the the really popular tires i i know one of them that uh they're uh they're scrambling away now and at at the top of the uh on the top of the powerpoint for the, the uh, design uh, criteria are big letters don't screw this up. <laughs> it's like we're selling, we're selling millions of these things, but we know you guys can make it better. But understand, <laughs> don't screw it up. <laughs> don't don't screw it up. So, you know, I've I've had over the years people go, "When are you going to have something new?" When they hit all the criteria, and would I like it today? Sure. Will I have it tomorrow? Maybe it might be two years from now. The, uh, the 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 deal that we always had with them is don't put us in a position to be making excuses for you guys deciding uh, deciding. Well, this is good enough. It doesn't have to be just good enough. It has it has to be what it 
what it needs to be. Right. And, you know, that's over all the time that I spent with the company was was pretty frustrating at times because we'd have competitors that would come out with the new the new it tire. <laughs> right. And it's like, when are you guys gonna, you know, that tire you've got six years old, eight years old, when are you gonna come out with something new? And the uh the very uh the the thing that I am so thankful of uh working for the company that I did is that uh you you talk to the guys at, at the retail point and say, well, you, you were selling a bunch of those. Yeah. Well, how many of those people came back in and bought a second set? And we, uh, we have been blessed with consumers that, uh, I, I run into more people that are probably on their fifth or sixth, seventh set of our tires than, than first sets anymore. Right. Um, and, you know, there's people that wince at the competition. I've always loved the competition because it 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 makes certain that people don't get complacent and become the next uh, case study of Armstrong. Well, we got it all. We can just sit back and and you know, as as is the case with uh, you know, I I was lucky. I figured out what I wanted to do with the company. I didn't want to be vice president. I wanted to be in a position to go out and play with tires and literally right up and right up to the, uh, right up to the end. My, uh, my last event, we were out, uh, we were out demonstrating, uh, two different tires, a versus B, which one, which, which one do you like better working for a company that would allow me to do that and make certain that the, the, the marketing claims were being fact checked. I guess I, I hear that in the news a lot. Well, this has been fact checked that the, the product was fact checked against what its application was. Then you just hope the guy at retail doesn't, doesn't turn around. You know, we had a product years ago that I uh, had three friends that put them on their vehicles and raved about them. And it was probably one of our less successful tires because people were selling it for all the wrong reason. They were, they were, they were selling it as a less expensive uh, alternative to, uh, to the Goodrich all-terrain. And it wasn't an all-terrain. It was a, uh, it was a light truck tire <laughs> that would allow you to go off the pavement, which my view of going off the pavement is a lot different than going off road. Right. And of course the consumers that went, Oh, this is, I don't know, pulling a number out of my butt, $30 a tire less. <laughs> I'll take those and then go, Oh, well, these, these didn't do anywhere as close to what I expected them to do. And you'd start looking at the applications and okay. So the guy that bought them to put them on his truck that he towed his boat was thrilled because they had all the traction he wanted to pull it up that wet boat ramp. He wasn't out trying to uh, show off on uh, on his favorite uh, black bear uh, section of trail out there. So, you know, it's it, there's a lot of things that can go right. It, it just think back to rock crawling and and as people thought about biting edges and the time that w- people would spend to go out and have their tires siped and you know the number of people who you wanted to just cry they'd go out and they'd buy a new set of tires 
they take it to some truck tire guy and say, I, I want to get these siped. And they would sipe the bejesus out of the tire. And now you got 17, 30 seconds of rubber that's been cut up that has all the stability in that block element of overcooked spaghetti. And they go <laughs> to do a climb. And it was like, oh, my God. And they're like, but, but this is supposed to help. Well, yeah, it kind of could have helped a little bit if you would have maybe put that sipe about two thirty seconds, maybe at the deepest spot. <laughs> well, but, but, but what, when the tire wore down, well, then you'd have to go do that again. Well, I didn't want to spend the money doing that over and over again. I said, well, you know, now you got, now you got $2,000 worth of stuff that doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. Put them on your boat dock because that's going to be where they're, uh, where they're going to, really provide you with the uh, greatest use going forward. So, you know, it's one of those things where it is siping good. Sure. But you got to know the why you want to do it. And is it the right application and to what degree the, uh, the, the compromises that the tires and they've, it, it, it's amazing that they have reduced the compromises as much as they have over the years. And I, I'm, I'm blown away. You know, we're making, uh, we're making all season tires that are going original equipment on C8 Corvettes. And I never thought I'd live to see the day that something like that would happen. Now I, my, my first experience with all season tires was back when I was working retail in the, and the uh, the guys that sold them to me said, "Well, these are these are going to be great. They're good in the they're good in the snow. They're good in the rain. They're good in the in the dry." And uh, I can still picture the sidewall of that tire because it had four little squares on the sidewall and had a bright sun. It had a little square with a snowflake. It had uh, raindrop. <laughs> it had the raindrops, and then it had the fall leaves. <laughs> and uh, and after about six months, I got to know all those customers very well because it was a winter that there were no more snow tires to be had. And I thought, well, I'll, I'll sell some of these. And generally work in retail when do you have somebody coming back through your door 48 to 72 hours later, they weren't coming in to say, geez, Jeff, thanks for selling me some of those. These are the best things that I have ever spent any money on. And I feel <laughs> so good about how safe and sound my family is as a result of what you put on the car. <laughs> so, so I always had kind of a jaded view of uh, all season tires as a result of that, because the, the only good thing I can say about those tires is that as bad as they were in the snow, in the spring rain in the Midwest, they might have been worse. And once the sun came out in the summer, they basically dissolved like a popsicle on the sidewalk. So we really didn't have to find out what they dealt with in the fall. So, uh, so I've, I, I, I got that jaded view of all season tires very early on. So, uh, every time, every time we have come up with a uh, new version, it's, it's been like treading out on very thin ice. And, uh, you know, the last two years I have been doing track events on all season tires. And a lot of people go, Oh my God, I don't, is that really what you, I said, 
oh no, it's not the right application at all. <laughs> but the fact that we have now developed an all-season tire that will work over that wide temperature range and give you traction at cold temperatures and hot temperatures and doesn't self-destruct when you start pushing their limits, you know, and they do have limits in that kind of uh, kind of situation. You know, the uh, even the tires that we're putting on the Corvettes at this point in time, they will they will get to the point where they're not doing everything that you would want them to do. But as uh, as guys with some pretty incredible ability behind the wheel will point out to me, you know, you could drive as hard as humanly possible back and forth on your favorite on-ramp and off-ramp until your arms were ready to fall off and you'd never reach the level of heat that we're able to get out here running you know, time trial laps with these things. And they're not given, they're not given up on us until we've done that for about six laps in hundred degree ambient temperatures. So the likelihood of, uh, you know, if you're going to take your sports car out and do uh, weekend track events, probably not the best tire, but you're not going to have them self-destruct on you. Uh, you're just not necessarily going to be, uh, overly fast and you'll be buying them a bit more uh, readily than you otherwise should. So it's extraordinary how they've engineered many of those compromises out. I would have bet the family farm, the industry would never reach the ability to do that. And, uh, and there's a few of them out there now that will, I say that as I tell people, I said, you know, gee, GM didn't decide to put that tire on that car to make us look good. <laughs> right. <laughs> that, that's that's not how that's not how that works. <laughs> they're 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 all about selling that that car with it's got this acceleration number and this cornering number and and the shoes that they choose to put underneath it are either going to deliver or it'll be somebody else's product underneath it. And the fact that you know you now have the ability to uh to do that and have have cold weather capabilities is really a testament to it comes back to the compounding guys and, and what, what they're able to do with that energy management in those rubber compounds. And the, the guys in their wizard suits standing around the cauldrons. And, and who knows what we'll see in the next, you know, it's been, been 46 years since, since I started trying to feed myself with tires and I am astonished at, at, at how the industry has has changed and evolved the one you know we're I, I envision today i tell the guys now i said you know I'll be, I'll be long gone here i said but there will come a time in the not real distant future where that vehicle's probably going to start itself up and drive it to a facility where it'll uh it it will be determining what tires are being put back on it and it'll drive itself back to where uh, it was parked so you can uh, go on your merry way but the one end of this business that's that's going to be the same is going to be the enthusiast and yes. whether it's the off-road enthusiast or the pavement enthusiast the people that i've been fortunate enough to uh, to work with and and work on promoting and demonstrating those tires the group of people that wants more, whether it's cooler, faster, jumping higher, going going through nastier uh, stuff, that group isn't going away. No, you know, it's not. It's, uh, 
that 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 audience that audience is uh is going to continue to be there you know i when i my my first official day at bfg with the personnel people the uh one of the ladies i was going over the paperwork with uh looked me in the eye and made it very clear she goes you know uh once this performance tire fad goes away we really don't see you fitting into the corporate uh, environment here. <laughs> I go, oh, what do you mean? She goes, well, people are not going to be buying these big wide tires or these knobby things. You know, that, that, that's, that's going to be a passing fad. And I went, oh, okay. Um, how long do you think that's going to last? And she goes, I don't know, maybe two maybe maybe three more years and i went oh cool because at that point that'd be about as long as i'd been employed doing anything else so <laughs> i was i was all in that was kind of looking looking like long-term employment and uh it's as as long as there are consumers out there that want more uh i'm pretty certain that my uh, my employer wants to be at the forefront of trying to uh meet their needs and that was the fun part of my job. It was, it was all about helping, helping the guys with the big brains hone in on the targets and then, then getting the tires. You know, I, that was a tough thing about actually finally uh, saying I would retire because I spent 90% of my time out showing off tires with, uh, with folks going, wow. Getting paid to drive. This is, this, this is, this is your job. Well, it's not much of one, but it's what I do. <laughs> um, and there would always be somebody in accounting going, why are you buying tires? We make tires. Well, yeah, but we don't make those. So if I'm going to go out doing stuff, I kind of want some of ours and some of theirs. And, well, okay, does your boss know this? Well, yeah, he signed it. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, you can't You can't compare apples to apples and expect to get oranges, you know, <laughs> you've got to try different things and then, you know, figure out why something may be working when you're maybe don't doesn't. Well, you know, I, I was so versa. lucky, you know, I, when I operating, operating on the East coast, when I started and then back to the Midwest and then, uh, and I guess the, second half of the eighties getting out, uh, getting out West. And I, I either credit or blame Rod Hall with my moving to Nevada. I would go out with Rod. It was always an adventure because we would go out and we would get stuck and we would get hung up being like a big fan. I'd be over there in the right seat thinking, well, I'm who am I to be barking at the grand master? This guy's won everything that there is to win. And finally, one day I couldn't take it anymore. Finally said, Jesus, Rod, <laughs> <laughs> How in the hell have you ever won a race? It doesn't seem like we can't be out here for more than a couple hours. And the next thing I'm out pushing and digging and <laughs> Rod looked at me like, what a stupid thing to say. He goes, you know, everybody gets hung up and stuck. He goes, when it happens to most people, they just get out and go, oh, God, what am I going to do? He goes, it's one of those things you got to practice at so that you get yourself stuck in every conceivable fashion known to man. It's not that big a deal. You know how you're going to get yourself out. And, uh, true. 
and we would go out with different vehicles with different tires. Well, Rod, Rod, Rod being the driver and me being the generally behind the uh, back bumper pushing, <laughs> looking at, looking at, uh, looking at how, how the different tires acted on the different surfaces. And, uh, the day that, uh, the day that Rod said, well, you, you drive, I want to look at that. I thought, you're kidding. <laughs> but I, I had fascinated him enough with what I was seeing from from one tire to the next on the different surfaces that Rod wanted to see it with his own eyes. I uh, I unfortunately did not excel at throttle control to the same degree that Rod did, but uh, he helped he helped me get better at that. And that was that was like going to an advanced degree of uh, of playing with tires with Rod. And I was I was one of those people that hated mud tires in the sand. Rod's like, well, the mud tire is way better in the sand. I go, no, it's not. And I said, you you put those on and you go in sand, you're stuck. And, uh, and Rod finally taught me how to drive in the sand. <laughs> he goes, the only, the only reason you don't like them is that you have no feel in your right foot. And there's a reason you're stuck and it's not the tire. And, uh, changed my, uh, changed my attitude considerably. And I find there's an awful lot of people that still kind of think the way that I did of, well, you don't get stuck as easily with an all-terrain versus a uh, mud-type tire in the sand. But if you can drive or have some throttle control, the difference is pretty astonishing. And I'm, I've, I've now gotten over my blatant, I shouldn't say fear of, uh, of the dunes, but it was one of those things where, man, I would, if I could find a way to stay out of the sand, I, I was – because I knew there was work ahead if I got in the sand. Now I, uh, I try and make certain I got uh, I got got the right tires on, and you know, like like most people should. I, I've got I've got at least two sets of wheels and tires for uh, for everything here, as I like to tell people. Well, you know, you wear different shoes to go out and do different things. Yeah, that's true enough. What is next for Jeff Cummins? I sort of laughingly, but I'm 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 thinking spending some some more quality time down at the airport because one of one of the great joys that do, doing this over the years is, was the uh, introduction of the TSA to my life and uh, and the amount of time that they would uh, steal from me, making certain that uh, they went about bothering travelers like me. So I'm thinking going to the airport with uh, some of my less than stellar looking vehicles and turning off the battery switch so that I'm stalled out behind them at shift change when they're panicking, trying to get someplace in a hurry. And uh, watching them have little meltdowns would be a great use of my time. But probably, <laughs> <laughs> I should probably probably do something a little more productive than that. I'm, uh, I'm still going to do some... Uh, I don't know what the right word is, contracting, consulting uh, with uh, BFG on some things. And uh, I went out and bought myself a new toy, seeing as how I needed to uh, complicate parking a little more here. So now so now I have a pair of Broncos and a pair of Raptors. Nice. Um, so uh, 
There's no scratches on the new Raptor yet, so that'll probably be something that uh, unfortunately lies in its future because I didn't get it to go uh, driving over the speed bumps at the mall faster (laughs) than the uh, Hondas. (laughs) And, you know, I... uh, now that I'm not uh, going to be quite so focused on uh, helping my partner get up to speed, uh, probably look to get into a, uh, a little more uh, time down in Baja working on access roads and such. I had a couple people this weekend of like, you know, you should just write a book that you could uh, sell to all of the teams for uh, – for roaming around by I'm like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not certain it would pay off from a sales standpoint, but always been intrigued on how do you get over that hill and what does it connect to? So, right. Do some more see, exploring. See a little of that in my future. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I hope to run across you out there doing that. You know, we just might have to go raptoring. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like well, I like the I'm, AC I'm old and the and, heat. I'm old and slow, and I try not to break things I don't want to fix. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I, I like to at least get it home. It can clunk and clank and all that, but as long as I can get it to a trusted mechanic to actually do the wrenching, I'm happy. Not that I can't do it myself. It's just, you know, how deep do I want to do it in my driveway? Well, you know, the guys that... Uh that roped me into uh, being one of the drivers on the team for the Baja 2000. And for six months, I said, man, I know guys that are looking for a ride. They're great drivers. They'll, uh, I can, I can put you in touch with them. And they're like, no, 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 we, we, we want you on the team. And one night after a few adult beverages, they were working on me again. I said, listen, it's, you guys really want a driver. This now, you know, we, we get to deal with the aftermath of your uh, of your excursions pretty frequently. We want you to drive the last leg because <laughs> no matter what's left of that truck by the time that we get it to you, we know that you are too lazy to just <laughs> stop and walk out. You will somehow figure out a way of limping it to the end because you brought things back to us that were like, holy shit. Should have been on a trailer. How, 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 how long ago did that happen? Oh, about four days ago. <laughs> and you're so, so that was the uh that was the one time that I actually signed up and I finally said, you know what? Okay, so you so you're using sound judgment for why you want me to drive the truck. <laughs> Fortunately, they literally broke in half before I had to get in. So <laughs> So you didn't have to worry about Maybe having to walk. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for spending the time and, and talking and, and going over your, your vast knowledge. And uh, I, I really enjoy having these conversations with you from time to time when I see you. I, I really hope that uh, if you're going to be staying in the Vegas area, we'll just have to get together and do some exploring. Could happen. All right. All right. Well, sounds good. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for for spending the time. Well, um, you're welcome. I'm probably about bored to tears at this point. So, No, not at all. (laughs) Not at all. All right. Have a good one. All right, Jeff. Thank you so much. 
Bye-bye. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Well, that's another episode of Conversations with Big Rich. I'd like to thank you all for listening. If you could do us a favor and uh, leave us a review on any podcast service that you happen to be listening on, or send us an email or a text message or a Facebook message, and let me know uh, any ideas that you have, or if there's anybody that you have that you think would be a great guest, please forward the contact information to me so that we can uh, try to get them on. And always remember, live life to the fullest. Enjoying life is a must. Follow your dreams and live life with all the gusto you can. Thank you.